The scripture reading for today is Ephesians 5, verses 18 through to 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And as you sit, please pray with me. <clears throat> Father, we, we come to you now uh, in the name of your Son, our precious Savior, our Lord, our King. We come to you in the power of your Spirit who dwells within us. And we ask that you would work. Uh, Father, help us. Help us to be changed. Help us as we look at your word of scripture to be transformed as your spirit presses in your life into our lives. As you continue to fill us up with yourself and displace who we are in our sin. God, we plead with you that you would work, that you would do a great work among us, that you would help us to be changed, that you would glorify your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Good morning. It's great to see you guys. I'm so glad to be here again with you this morning. I feel like it's been a little while away. I know Heath preached last week, and then I was at South Vancouver before that. Um, but it's great to be back here and uh, with the privilege of preaching God's word. Um, I, uh, man, it's been, a, it's a good season. It's a blessing to be here. I was um, thinking though this week, uh, just about the privilege of preaching and being part of this community again, and being reminded how thankful I am that God has brought me and my family here to be part of Christ City with you all. And uh, I anyway, just, it's a blessing. It's a regular thing on my mind and in my prayers. So I want to praise God for you guys, praise him for his work that he's doing and uh, for bringing us here. Um, with that being said, today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21, and this idea of being filled with the Spirit. But I want to contrast that, that kind of the title of that message, that idea right now, with this reality, because today I think we're often told something different, not to be filled with the Spirit, but to follow our hearts. Rumi, who is a, a, the Sufi poet, he wrote this, he said, let yourself be silently drawn by the strange pull of what you really love. It will not lead you astray. I mean, Rumi wrote those words in the 13th century, but it might as well be a mantra for today, right? We, we hear that all the time. Follow your heart. Pursue your desires. Just live more into you. It's going to go great for you. But how is that working out for us? Have you ever found that as you pursued something that you desired, that when you, you grabbed hold of it, that maybe it wasn't all that you were looking for? Maybe it even stabbed you in the back. And it was bad. And I think if you're honest, if you have the courage to look deeply in the mirror, which is a scary thing to do, to really evaluate our lives and our decisions over time, I think you'd find that oftentimes your desires do this. They betray you. They betray you. You often, I think, we often as human beings desire things, not that are good and lead to our blessing and fortune, but things that are, are bad for us. 
Things that I think are even hurtful for other people, but also hurtful for ourselves once we've, gra- once we've grabbed hold of those things that we've, that we've wanted in that moment. To illustrate this, just think with me for a moment about the resolution season of the year. Right? Perhaps you've noticed something odd about us as human beings. We've got this amazing capacity to imagine and to, to picture the good. This awesome, great reality that we can live toward. But in the end, in our day-to-day experience, we just do what we want. We just do exactly what we want. And what we want isn't exactly good. Most of us have to look no further than last year's New Year's resolutions to see that and to kind of look at the results of, of how that happened. Sometimes the results aren't terrible. You know, okay, I kept a few pounds on that I wasn't planning on. You know, I had these good intentions, but I gave in in the moment to what I wanted and, and didn't achieve the ultimate good that I was aiming at, but just the want that I had in the moment. Or maybe that happened with my bank account, and uh, I was really hoping to save in 2018, but, you know, I look at the, the bank account today, and it didn't work out that great. So some of these things aren't terrible as we follow our wants and our desires and don't live up to this good that we're hoping for. But other times, they're terrible. On the other hand, the Bible teaches us that when we open the newspaper and read about disaster after disaster in our world, when we go to the hospital even, because we've got the phone call that our loved one is dying, or when we take months to recover recover from, from the Christmas season, because my family relationships are in such disarray that it's just been terrible. And it's going to lead me to this emotional reeling as I deal with how I have to recover now from trying to be together with my family. The Bible teaches that all of that has a, has a root cause. And that our desires are to blame. That doing what we want has led us here. We don't want God and we do want what he has warned us is harmful and hurtful to us. We're rebels against him in the Bible's language. And that, according to the Bible, is the problem. It's the cause of the problems that we face day in and day out in our lives. So if that's the problem, if that's the reality, you know, we're following our desires to these not good places. I, I hesitate to say this, but put yourself in God's shoes. Right? Can, can I say that on a Sunday morning? Imagine that you were God. Just for a second. Maybe all of you do that all the time. I don't know. But imagine for a moment that you were God. And if you were, and you wanted to change things here on earth, what would you do? I mean, have you ever tried to help somebody that didn't want to be helped? This morning in our passage, we're going to look at the way that God has reached into this world that's so full of us and our desires that incline away from him in order to recreate it, to change it by filling it up with himself. We're going to spend the rest of our time together looking at what God has done to save us by filling us with his spirit. That's what we're going to look at this morning. The beginning of the year, talking about being filled with the Spirit. So just two points. Filling, what is it? And filling, how to live it. So let's look first at filling, what is it? What's this whole filling with the Spirit thing about? Is it a wildly transcendent, ecstatic experience? Is it the Christian equivalent to a psilocybin mushroom trip? Is it... Is it transcendental meditation for Christians? 
Is that what this is? Maybe you've been to a church in the past that was very pro being filled with the Spirit, which is a biblical thing, but you thought maybe the way that they're practicing it isn't actually lining up with what I see in my Bible. And this, this deeply personal, mystical experience and things like maybe barking or laughing in the Spirit or falling over in the Spirit are, are happening, and you're, you're wondering, I don't, like, is this what we're talking about here? And the thing is, it's, it's not what we're talking about here. That's, that's not a description, I don't think, of being filled with the Spirit that the Bible gives us. Because the Bible's description of being filled with the Spirit is actually, it's much more deep than that. It's more, it's not less miraculous, it's more miraculous than that, than those experiences. And today, I want to focus on the Bible's most fundamental teaching about being filled with the Spirit. And the way that that filling has to do with transformed desires. That filling has to do with a changed heart. As we're displaced of ourselves and, and God fills us up and recreates us in his own image by the Spirit. Look at Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. This is, if you want to memorize a, a passage about being filled with the Spirit, about the new heart that God works through his salvation, look at this passage. Ezekiel writes, And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. This is the promise of God to us. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Ezekiel 36 shows us that being filled with the spirit has to do with God giving humans that are inclined towards rebellion against him and their own sin a new heart that now loves God that now loves others, that now wants to obey him and wants to follow him instead of wanting what isn't good and what is away from him. The Bible's teaching is that all of the problems in this world, they find the root in the human heart. The seat and the foundation of our desires is our human heart. The seat of our thinking is even our heart. You in this room right now, you might think, hey, Brent, I'm a biologist. I am a rational thinking person. What you need to realize is that, is that even those of you that think you're the most rational people on earth, there have been the best thinkers that have gone before you for generations that have recognized that even beneath your thinking, even beneath your reasoning, something else is going on. You're desiring. And it influences even your thinking. Blaise Pascal said it this way. He said, the heart has its reasons, which reason knows nothing of. But even at this deeper level, something is happening. Our desiring is moving and, and pushing us towards things and away from other things. And when the deepest levels of your being are corrupted, the rest is going to be affected. Right? When the deepest levels of my desiring at the very baseline are affected, I'm going to be churning away from what's good and all, all, all over the place in all kinds of different areas in my life. And these two verses from Ezekiel show us that God saw the problem of the human heart and he set on a mission of salvation to deal with it. He aimed at the heart. I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit within you. This idea of God transforming human hearts by his spirit is not actually unique to Ezekiel though. So that's, that's one place we can look. Another place we can look is in the New Testament and maybe to the words of Paul. 
And Paul, for example, he was deeply familiar with humanity's problem and God's plan to give us a new heart and to fill us. But Paul, he actually expands Ezekiel's thinking for us. He kind of develops it a little bit. For example, in the book of Ephesians, Paul describes the salvation that God is working to accomplish with the language of filling. This new heart needs to happen. It's going to happen by the Spirit, but let's talk some more about that, about filling. Look at what Paul says in a couple of verses with me. In Ephesians 1.10, Paul describes the salvation of God. He says, And he put all things under Jesus' feet, and he gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. This is beautiful. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Well, then look at Ephesians 3, 18 to 19, where Paul says, May you have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Or Ephesians 4, verse 10. He, that's Jesus, who descended, in, who, descended who came to earth to accomplish our salvation, to, to change our hearts as Ezekiel prophesied would happen. He's the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Isn't that awesome? God's purpose of salvation for humanity, it has to do with him reconciling us to himself with Jesus, through Jesus, and then filling us up with himself, displacing what is broken and what is evil and replacing it with himself in his glorious goodness and wholeness of his divine life. The Bible scholar Peter O'Brien, he says it this way. In light of these earlier instances of the fullness language, then, we conclude, this is awesome, that the content with which believers have been or are being filled is the fullness of the triune God. Father, Son, and Spirit working together to fill all things, to flesh out the brokenness and the, the, the sin with himself. Can you, can you believe that? That's awesome. God's promise in Ezekiel in the Bible that he would deal with the problem of our sinful hearts by giving us a spirit. And then in Ephesians, God shows us even more that these purposes are to fill us, to, to have his life seen in us, transforming us and making us completely different people with new desires. Change at the level of the heart. Full up with God. So if you're a Christian here this morning, here's the good news. This has happened to you. Praise God. This has happened to you. God has given you his spirit and he's started to give you new desires for him. We praise him for that. We thank him for that. This is awesome stuff. But here's the problem. Even if you are a Christian here this morning, even if this, is, even if this has happened to you, started to happen to you, you probably know, unless you're just oh so holy, that temptations to sin are still present in your life. Right? That, that you... Though having the Spirit of God in your heart, still live in a physical body that was born in sin. Right? And there's a battle going on. I, for one, know this all too well. But Paul says in Galatians, he talks about this. He talks about this in a passage that we'll get to in a couple of months. In Galatians 5.17. He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. There's this battle happening. I've been filled with the Spirit, but there's a battle going on. And you, every day, are faced with a decision. 
Will I give myself and grow in my new spirit desires that are working in me? Or am I going to live in the flesh? Am I going to live out my old desires? Pursue the things that lead me away from God. And there's, there's this battle happening. And the good news is that there's a battle. Before there wasn't a battle. Right? Before it was just the flesh desires leading away from God. Now you have these new desires and you at work too. But what are you going to do? This is why Paul writes what he does in Ephesians 5.18. He says, the solution, be filled with the Spirit. We need to increase in the Spirit rather than the flesh as we battle this out. And in Romans 8 and Galatians 5, Paul emphasizes the same sort of thing. You must walk by the Spirit. You must keep in step with the Spirit. You must strive to live a life that is full of the Spirit. We've got to work at this. Listen, I think Paul is pretty clear that, that growing in the Spirit doesn't come from sitting on your couch passively and watching Netflix. I think he knows that. You know, I mean, that's, maybe that's our default a strategy for Christian growth in this new year. You know, hang out a little bit more, take a bit more time of relaxation. But Paul is saying, no, you've got to work at this. You've got to fight at it. He's saying that those of us whom God has made alive and poured out his Spirit on, we need to strive to grow in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So that's pretty general, isn't it? Like if I say, hey guys, be filled with the Spirit, that's all you're hearing me say right now, and you're like, okay, Brent, all right, it's not exactly intuitive to me. You know, like, how do I do this? You know, I, I don't just tell you these things and you say, ah, yes, those five easy steps about being filled with the Spirit, you know, engage, start step one right now. We, we need some more explanation here, don't we? We need some help. And the good news is that Paul starts to give us more information about how to do that. But before we jump into the, the careful explanation about how to live out that filling, look with me at Ephesians 5.18 to just uh, make one more observation. Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And we need to note that as Paul starts his command, there's a juxtaposition, right, of, of being drunk with wine versus being full of the Spirit. And why is that? Well, the thing that drunkenness does is it, it inclines us not towards good desires, right? It, it controls us and leads us towards more fleshly desires, shall we say, right? What Paul's saying, no, 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 what needs to happen is not that, but this other thing that I really want to emphasize, this being filled with the Spirit that I really want to take my time to explain to you, to be controlled by a new power and a different power at work in us. So Paul, he then fleshes out his command to be filled with the Spirit, in 19 to 21. Look at that with me. In this, uh, in this next point, how to live it. Filling with the Spirit. How to live it. I really want to dwell here. And if you're looking to take something away for you at the beginning of 2019, I'd suggest, like, really listen here. How to walk more in the Spirit. It's maybe one of the most important things we can talk about at the beginning of this year. So Paul tells us that we can grow in being filled with the Spirit by... Look at verse 19. I think we can supply that word by here. By addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So addressing one another and singing here, they're the first two ways to, I think, to, to increase in our walk of being full of the Spirit. So after the gathering, I've already talked to Tanner. We're going to have a sign-up sheet for learning how to sing in harmony. And, uh, and he's going to help us, you know, all learn to lead worship in our, in, in our homes uh, through singing. I'm just kidding. That's not, that's not the case. This is not a command that relies on you having an awesome singing voice. That's not what it's saying. 
The first way we can give ourselves to God's work of filling with the Spirit is to intentionally, hear this, intentionally participate in worship and encouragement of others together. How does this fill us up with the Spirit? Well, notice that there are two audiences in verse 19. Right? There's two audiences here. Look at this. Addressing one another, right? And singing to the Lord. Two directions. When we sing, when we worship, we are doing it in order to communicate our hearts of love to Jesus Christ and our gratitude in worship to him that he has saved sinners like us and granted us his grace and started a new transforming work inside of us. We praise him for it. But we're also doing it for one another. We're doing it together as a corporate act that as we do it, it encourages all of us together to follow Jesus more closely. We don't do this in a closet. Not that it's wrong to sing songs by yourself. You should do that. But, but we gather for a reason as a church. We gather for a reason that this is seen as we worship God together and see that at work in us. So have you ever considered the effect that your singing has on your brothers and sisters around you? Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever paused for a moment as you're worshiping Jesus and just looked around the room to see who's singing, to see how they're singing? To see that person who's singing with the recent diagnosis on their mind? Or maybe to see that family that are singing and you know that it's bad at home? Or to see that person, you know that the life's just pressing in on them? But here they are worshiping and holding fast to Jesus and praising him. And they see your faith. And they see the joy of a sinner saved by grace, placing their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ in the midst of their tragedy, in the midst of their desperation and hurt and their struggle. And as you sing together, as you see one another, you're built up as you're encouraged by one another's faith in the Lord. Your songs are a means by which the whole church is then stimulated to be filled up fully with the Spirit of God as we're immersed more deeply through our singing and through our worship in His plans to fill this world with Himself. We start to see things correctly, and our twisted perspective is corrected as we sing and speak and communicate the truths of the gospel through our song and through our worship. We do this each week when we gather here, Christ City. We do this when we get together in community groups. We do this when we meet together for fellowship and for prayer. So we encourage one another and point each other to Jesus. And there are so many days, I don't know if I'm, maybe I'm the only one, but there's so many days when I come on a Sunday and I need this. I need to see Marlene worshiping Jesus. I need to look over and to see Tony raising his hands in worship and praise. We need to look at one another and see us other, you see one another holding fast in faith to our good God, who's filled us with his love, who's given us his spirit. You see, to be filled with the Spirit, I need you. Do you see that? We don't do this alone. To be filled with the Spirit, I need you, and you need me. So notice already how different this is from conceptions of being filled with the Spirit that are merely individual-focused and mystical. This filling takes part not just by ourselves, but as a community, as we grow together, 
as we strive to edify the body, to build one another up in Christ. So if you want to be filled more with the Spirit, does anybody want that? If you want that, be intentional about the worship gathering. Be intentional about community groups. Fred's already given you an invitation to join. Maybe you're, you're feeling that this has been a hard year this last year. You know, one of the things you could do to maybe strive for it to be better would, to join, to be, to be, would be to join a CG. To be able to get involved and be part of this. To be intentional about meeting together and fellowshipping in this way. I mean, how often do you just roll up here on a Sunday morning with your mind more focused on your lunch plans than on worshiping Jesus together? We have to be intentional about this. I think to, to increase in the fullness of the Spirit, let's strive to be intentional, to take some time in prayer, to read Scripture beforehand when we get here, to, to maybe get up a little bit earlier. Maybe what you don't need to have more filling with the Spirit is a, is a Holy Spirit weekend encounter trip away. Maybe what you need is just to get up a little bit earlier on Sunday morning. The plan for how you're going to be here and participate in the worship gathering. I need your encouragement. I really do. And you need mine. And that needs some prayer and some intentionality on our part. You know, when you sit down to the person next to you, you don't know what their week's been like. You don't know what they're going through. We need one another. They need to see your faith and your heart of worship and to be encouraged by it. By doing this, you'll be giving yourself to the work of the Spirit within you and you will increase in his fullness. I think that's the promise of Scripture. But second, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, if you want God's life to increase and take hold of you, there's something else we can do. You can be characterized by somebody who gives thanks. You can give thanks. Look at verse 20. Be filled with the Spirit by giving thanks always and for everything. To God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. To be a Christian, filled with the Spirit of God, is to be someone who is marked by giving thanks to God for everything. Always. Wow. How's that working out for us this week? How are we doing? Giving thanks to God always and for everything. I mean, I've not been doing a good job of this lately. I confess that this morning. But because we're in Kitsilano, and it's a supremely spiritual neighborhood, I think that it goes without saying that we need to be careful to distinguish this sort of thanksgiving from a general spirituality and mindfulness that's really common in our culture. Look, Christian thankfulness is rooted in the gospel. And it is directed toward the Christian God. Look at verse 20 again. Giving thanks, all, giving thanks always and for everything... Here's, here's the, the recipient of that thanksgiving. To God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who saved us in the first place. We don't think that it's beneficial to communicate our feelings of thanksgiving out into the universe. Right? The universe isn't a personal being. Right? So, why does it care if you think it? But the God of the Bible is a person who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And most of all, the God of the Bible is the God who is a person who took on human flesh and entered into our suffering to suffer and to die, to be killed on a cross, to die the death that we deserved and to pay the price we could not pay 
to earn the righteousness that we could not earn. This is the God who's done all of that in order to save us. His blood was shed for us. His body was broken for us. And it's to this God that we give our thanks. We praise him. We, we thank him for what's enjoyable and good. You should thank him for all things, right? You should thank him for the, the morning cup of coffee in the morning. You know, it's, it's not, not that significant, but thank him for it. Praise him for that. You should thank him for the gospel, that he's a God who has saved you, a sinner in need of his grace. Praise him for that. That's the foundation of our, our thanksgiving. But you should also give thanks to God for what is difficult. We serve a God who is working even through our suffering to deepen our faith. To cause us to cling tighter to him and to love him more deeply and have a refined faith that is more precious than gold which perishes. Look at the way First Peter, uh, Peter says this in First Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. Give thanks in everything. You, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for our salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. I love that he just calls it for a little while. It sure feels long sometimes, doesn't it? But now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter shows us here that you can give thanks in the deepest agony that you experience. Because God hasn't forgotten you. He is guarding you. God is keeping you. And he's producing a weight of glory far beyond all comparison in you. As you're being formed into a creature that shines forth the goodness of God. Hear this. Not in spite of your suffering, but because of it. Not in spite of your suffering, but because of it. Your suffering's not meaningless. It's producing glory. It's strengthening your faith. It's causing you to love the Lord your God more. It's causing this world to fall away with all of its lies and to focus you on what's real and what's true and what's good. And like you don't sing songs alone, you also don't suffer alone. Or at least you ought not to suffer alone. You suffer as part of a body. You suffer as part of God's church that needs you, that needs to see you giving thanks in everything. Even, and maybe especially in your suffering, to a good God so that we grow together in Him, in Jesus, and are filled up with love for Him, with hope in Him, with faith in Him, through the darkest situations in our lives. As the Spirit takes hold of us, and fills us more and more. So how are we doing? Are you giving yourself to the fullness of the Spirit by giving thanks to God daily? Always. And for everything. We serve a God whose gifts and whose goodness, you know, they're not dependent on pleasant circumstances. We serve a God who's worthy of our thanksgiving, even in our deepest agony. Be filled by singing. Be filled by speaking gospel songs. Be filled by giving thanks. And lastly, 
be filled, this is going to be surprising, by submitting to one another. Didn't see that one coming, did you? Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Is that surprising? Be filled by submitting? Seems a little uncomfortable. And it's a dirty word, right? I mean, we really should have had a trigger warning here to talk, you know. Guys, we're going to talk about submission. It's going to be a little bit weird. But today our society believes that the great evil in this world is authority. And that submitting to anyone seems like the worst thing to do for any of us. Right? But the Bible doesn't teach this. The Bible teaches that godly submission is actually a way that we can increase in being filled with the Spirit. And this makes sense when you think about it. Because whose Spirit are we being filled with anyway? Isn't it the Spirit of God? Isn't it the Spirit of Jesus Christ? And what was Jesus' life marked by? Humble submission and service to God? Certainly. But to anyone else? How about to those that he came to save? Meekly allowing himself to be murdered in order to accomplish salvation. I think this is why we submit, if you notice at the end of verse 21, out of reverence for Christ. God is not asking us to do anything that he has not done. Look at Jesus' example for us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 8. Look at this humility. Look at this submission. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, but taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I think we imitate Jesus and we obey this admonition by looking to him as our model, by seeing the way that he has submitted and we are called to submit to. So be filled with the Spirit by not insisting on your way all the time. Practice this towards one another. Be like Jesus. Be filled with the Spirit by being deferential to others, by not thinking that you're the most significant person when you walk through the room all the time. By being willing to serve them, to put them ahead of you, to give them the position of honor, to not have the last word, to sacrifice out of love for their benefit. But besides this general attitude of submission, I think, to one another that we're all called to, an imitation of Jesus, I think there are also many specific areas that we are called to submit to in the Bible where we can work this out. And we don't have that in this text this morning, but I just want to highlight a couple things. The Bible calls us to be submissive to government and to our employers. You can see that in Romans 13, verse 1. You can see it in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're also called to be submissive to our leadership in the church. You can see that in chapter 13, verse 17 of Hebrews. Wives in the Bible are called to be submissive to their husbands in Ephesians 5. And children are called to be submissive to their parents in Ephesians 6. And for any of us who start to think that, that man, I can't, be, I can't be submissive. Because the person that I'm called to be submissive to, they're not going to be fair towards me. Consider Jesus. He was submissive to those who killed him. 
He was submissive to the ruling authorities who took his life, trusting that through his submission, God would display his glory and he would accomplish salvation once and for all. So how are you doing? Do you want to be more filled with the Spirit? Are you practicing submission? Are you practicing submission? Are you working that out? Are you growing in humility to one another? Or in any of these spheres that we're seeing in the Bible this morning? So we've talked about a few of these things. But maybe you're wondering right now, why? What's the point? What's it all mean? What, what is so great, great about these three evidences of God's life at work in our community? Why should I live into them at all? What's the purpose of it? Well, let me get to the explanation by means of an illustration. Where I grew up, way out in the boons, out in Mission, there's this, there's this big field. And, and through the course of my life, I watched something interesting happen in that field. I drive by it all the time, maybe almost daily for most of my life. And every year, you would see these blackberry bushes that were on the outside of the field start to encroach on the field. A year would go by, and they'd be a little bit further in. Then be a little bit further in, and then there'd be little isolated, uh, little oasises of, um, of of pasture land, and eventually the whole field was covered with the blackberries and was gone. But I remember driving uh, by again another time, and I guess the farmer had had enough because he hired an excavator and an operator, and over time they began digging up the field and pushing back the blackberries, so that this fruitful field was left. And he planted a crop of corn. And you're just amazed at the, trans- at the transformation. Blackberries that no one could touch because they're just too thick to fruitfulness, to a field. God's filling of our hearts with his presence is similar to this field. God's purchased our hearts with the blood of Christ. He saved us and he's given us his spirit of life working within us. And he's caused us to have his new desires now. To live under his rule and his reign with joy so that we can flourish as human beings. And because we've been made alive by Jesus, by the Spirit, we can take hold of the controls of that excavator and start to dig up that field, to work by the power of God, to drive back the blackberries so that our lives are fruitful for his glory. So why does this matter? Because as we do this, as we grow in Christ in this way, as his Spirit takes root and fills us in this way, the world will be like me, my teenage self, looking through the windows of my car, driving past the field. And they're going to see the transformation. As what has been dead and darkened and unfruitful is replaced with life and flourishing. As we grow in the spirit of Christ Jesus. They'll notice the transformation. They'll see that Christ City Kitsilano is full to the brim with the spirit of God. As each member does its part. As we increase in all of these areas. You know what God's going to do through that? He's going to save people because of it. He's going to draw people to himself and to his glory as he does that. As we work with him in that way. So where are you this morning? Are you someone who is filled up with the spirit of God? Walking in these new desires in this new way? Or are you someone who is just floundering? floundering in your desires. Maybe you're someone who's been following the words of Rumi your whole life. Let yourself be silently drawn by the strange pull of what you really love. It will not lead you astray. 
And right now, you're in the midst of finding out how terrible that advice is. Maybe you want something new. Maybe this morning you're starting to see things differently. Maybe you're confronted with the truth of the Bible and the words of Jeremiah 17 verse 9, which say, not to follow your heart, but that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You need the Spirit of God to work in you. Maybe all the failures you've been experiencing in your life are pointing you to confront the fact that you don't have a new heart. That God has not made you alive by the power of his spirit. If that's you, then here's what you need to do. You need to talk to God about it. You need to do two things. You need to repent and you need to believe. You need to come before God. You need to repent that, hey God, I've been following me. I've been chock full of me and it's not worked out very well. In every area, I've been rebelling against you, and it's not been leading to my flourishing. It's been leading to my death. I confess that that's the case. I agree with you that that's who I am, and I cry out to you. I want to submit to you, to have you as a Lord and master of my life. And you need to believe. You need to believe that God has done something that you could never do. That God has made a way for you, despite your rebellion against him, to be forgiven by the precious blood shed for you by Jesus Christ. That you can be washed, that you can be made new, that you can be reconciled in a relationship of love and flourishing and filled with the Spirit of God as you believe his gospel for you. Trust him. He's in the life business. He's in the life business, and all of us need his life. But if you're confident that you're a Christian here this morning, that you do have the Spirit, but you're just aware that, you know, 2018 was blah. I wrapped up that year, and it just wasn't that great. I did not go where I wanted to go in, that, in this year. I think you too need to repent as well and to believe, but maybe in a little bit different way. You need to repent of not keeping in step with the Spirit. You need to repent of not walking in the, all the things that these passages of Scripture we've looked at this morning are calling us to pursue. And you need to give yourself in faith and in belief to the work of God that he's doing in the church. To strive to be part of it. So that this year, so that 2019 will be different than last year. So that his life will be marked in you. Seen in you as you increase in fruitfulness for the glory of God. Christ City Kits... Let 2019 be a year of flourishing in the Spirit to the glory of God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Please pray with me. Our Father, we cry out to you. Fill us with your Spirit. Help us to know that that's not merely an abstract command, but that, but that for those of us that you have worked life inside of, we can start to walk in keeping with that command as we obey your word as we give ourselves to the work that you are doing. Lord, help us to sing songs of encouragement. Help us, our words, to be filled with encouraging gospel truths together as a community. Help us to be those that are marked by giving thanks to you in everything, always. Help us to be those who are so countercultural because we're willing to submit. We're willing to follow Jesus. Oh Lord, work fruitfulness in us, for your glory. Amen. 
Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.